The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, said to Saul, said, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king said to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. This is the word of the Lord. Now you may be seated. (laughs) If you're in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to be in children's church, you can join the volunteers in the back um, by the children's church sign. Good morning. My name's Mark. I'm on staff here. I'm surprised we don't lose more scripture readers with tough names like Mephibosheth and Lodabar. Good job, though. Thank you. Uh, Well, this summer, we've been making our way through the life of David uh, in a sermon series we've called Dispositions of the Heart. I think it's been a really helpful way to see how the gospel changes us, how God transforms our hearts uh, that gives us appetites for things like mercy and humility and kindness and friendship and it gives us hearts that want to lament the brokenness of this world and the brokenness in ourselves and celebrate the good things that god has Um, and sometimes jumping in in the middle of an old testament passage it can seem a little disorienting especially if you're new to the church or you're just starting to investigate christianity and you're just trying to figure out what in the world is going on 1400 years ago uh, or 2400 years ago but our our passage this morning It's one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible, I think. And it so clearly shows us who God is and his heart towards his people. And it's so beautiful because the story of Mephibosheth is a story of an enemy, a liability 
Right? It's a story of someone who has nothing to offer, and yet how the king brings him into his royal house, and he makes him a part of his family. And he sits him down at his dinner table, and he says, I'm going to take care of you forever. And what I want to pitch at you this morning is that the story of David and Mephibosheth is the story of everyone who comes to follow Jesus. Right? It is the story of the kindness of God towards undeserving men and women like you and me. Uh, and if you find yourself thinking this morning at some point, well, this seems too good to be true, uh, then I think we're doing our jobs, right? Through the songs and the sacraments and the sermon and the rest of the liturgy. If, if you just think, man, this sounds great, but there's no way this could possibly be true. I don't deserve this. Uh, then you've got it. You've hit the, what the gospel is. So let me pray for us and then we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that you give it to us because you love us and you want us to know you. Uh, and so would you help us to see a clear vision of who you are and your goodness and kindness towards your people this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a quick recap for those who haven't been here or you're not familiar with the story. David is the second king of Israel. Uh, the first king of Israel was a guy named Saul, and he was a terrible king. Uh, and he tried to kill David multiple times. Uh, Saul had a son named Jonathan, and the big drama is that Jonathan and David were absolute best friends. They loved each other. And David and Jonathan's friendship ran so deep that they said, hey, if one of us dies or is killed in battle, uh, the other one's going to take care of the other person's family. They made a covenant. They made a pact with each other. And in a battle with the Philistines, both Saul and Jonathan, the father and son, they both died, which is why David is now king. And it's also why in verse 1, David says, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? In other words, David wants to make good on this promise that he's made with Jonathan. And I love how explicit David is here as to what he's doing. It is verse 1, he says he wants to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And then in verse 3, he says to Ziba, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I might show him the kindness of God to him? So this isn't just David being nice, right? He is, he's passing on the kindness of God, the kindness that God has showed to him. He wants to mirror to a son of Jonathan. And while, you know, we read this or we hear this and we think, well, that sounds nice, you know, through our kind of 21st century American ears and eyes, uh, this would have been so out of the ordinary for that day. In fact, it would have been seen as dangerous and like very politically unwise for David to do this. He's inviting his enemy's grandson, Mephibosheth, into his home and into his family, uh, which historically is the exact opposite of what happened when a new power came into power, right? Whenever a new regime came into power, a new family took it in order to consolidate the power, they usually just killed everyone in the old family. They just eliminated them, right? Uh, do you remember the 90s Disney movie, Anastasia? I love that movie. It's great. Uh, it's a, about this Russian princess, Anastasia Romanoff, and the bad guy Rasputin. I, I haven't seen the movie since I was like 10, so I forget what all happens. Rasputin has a big beef against the Romanoff family, so he tries to take them all out. And Anastasia is running away from the palace, and I think she hits her head or something. She basically has amnesia. She forgets that she's the princess. And so it's this romantic comedy with like Meg Ryan and John Cusack as the main voices. Everybody's doing great Russian accents. They are not. They don't even try. Uh, but it's a sweet, funny cartoon where Dimitri and Anastasia, they're always fighting all the time, but then they fall in love and they run off to Paris and they live happily ever after. Great movie. Uh, the real Anastasia Romanoff, it's very different. Uh, she was born in 1901 and 16 years later, uh, the Bolshevik Revolution happened, and so all of her family was sent into captivity, 
And then a year later, they were all executed. And that's the end of the story. There were some rumors that Anastasia was still out there, but then they found some DNA evidence that they were, in fact, all just wiped out. Because, uh, and then Lenin, as he was consolidating power, he, like, hunted down anybody with Romanov blood just to take them all out. Uh, because anyone with a connection to the Romanov dynasty was a threat, right, to this new regime. Anyone with royal blood had a claim to the throne. Uh, and this was, like, only 120 years ago. It was not that long ago. Do we see, then, why it's so incredible what, that King David brings Mephibosheth into his house and he sits him at his table? The pattern over and over again through history is what, the, what happened with the Romanovs, right? The old regime is a threat, so it's best just to eliminate that threat. Otherwise, someone with royal blood could start a coup and say, I've got a claim to this throne, it's rightfully mine, and then civil war starts. And this is actually, we didn't read it, but this is actually the reason why Mephibosheth can't use his legs. This is back in 2 Samuel chapter 4. They're, they're back in Israel. They hear that Saul and Jonathan have been killed in battle. And so the nurse immediately picks up Mephibosheth and starts running because she knows that someone's going to try to come and wipe her out. And as she's running away, she trips and falls and drops Mephibosheth, and he falls on his legs and breaks them, and they never heal. So he, he's permanently injured, and he can't walk. Everyone expected David to come in and just clean house because that's what every other king would have done, just what you do. So Mephibosheth has permanent damage done to his life because he was seen as a threat to David's kingdom. And yet, what does David do? He says, is there still not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? That word kindness, it's a really rich word in the original Hebrew. Uh, it can be translated kindness or steadfast love or covenant loyalty. Anytime you see those in your Old Testament, that's that word hesed, um, if you want to impress your friends over lunch. But it's this idea that if you are in a covenantal relationship with someone, right, if two parties have promised to come together and they said, let's hold this bond and there's going to be blessings if we keep this bond, it means you, you keep your promises if you're in a covenant relationship. That's why after we baptize someone, we had a baptism this morning with the guides, Mark and Laura Nicole, um, after we baptize someone, we say, this is a child of the covenant, right? They're being brought into this covenant community. They have all the rights and privileges of someone who belongs to this house. And so just, just try to wrap your heads around what David is saying here. He's saying that, hey, is there anyone from the house of the guy who used to hunt me down? He tried to kill me. He used to throw spears at me all the time. Is there anyone from that guy's line to whom I can show kindness? Because God has been so kind to me. The love of our God, right, the kindness of our king often doesn't make sense, right? Uh, it's not what we would expect. It's not safe. Because if we're honest with ourselves, especially a lot of those of us who have grown up in the church, we start believing this lie that Jesus only has kindness and love for like a certain type of person. Like the people who are just almost there, like they've already kind of cleaned up some bad habits. They've stopped doing some things. They started doing some things. Like it's, it, it's, Oh, Jesus only just needs to give a little nudge to those people. Y'all, that's not how God works. He can work in that way. He definitely works through families. I'm sure a lot of you had parents who were Christians and grandparents who were Christians. He absolutely works that way. That's the kind of norm. But God is equally powerful to work through your conversations with a coworker who seems like they're a million miles away from following Jesus. And this isn't unique to our generation. Even during Jesus' time, when he was walking around, people were always getting ticked off. They're saying, how could you hang out with these people? They're thieves, they're sex workers, they're drunks. What are you doing, Jesus? His own disciples, they try to keep kids from running up. They just want to come hug on Jesus and be around him. 
And what does Jesus do? He scolds them, doesn't he? He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. He said, I didn't come for the righteous, the people who think they've got it all together. He says, I came for sinners, people who know they're messed up. And he'll say, let the little children come to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. It belongs to people who know they, they can't do anything on their own and they're totally dependent on somebody else. Our God loves people with a reckless love, a love that refuses to love only those who can give something back in return. Much like my stock in cryptocurrency, God's love is a bad investment, right? There's not expecting to get much back in return. That was my first and last foray into investing, by the way. Uh, David invites the one person whose mere existence is a threat to him, and he brings him into his home. Do you know what the love of God is like? Right? He takes people like you and me, enemies and rebels, men and women who often we just do whatever we want and we just live for ourselves. He calls us sons and daughters. And he actually gives us the responsibility to go out and tell other people about this incredible good news and the kindness of God. He trusts us for that. And as we do that, as we're telling other people about this, we're not doing people any favors when we try to kind of cover up the messiness in our own lives. We're not doing anybody any favors if we say, oh yeah, now that I've come to Christ, I am totally good and I never blow it, never mess it up. Because the truth of it is, if God were like that, right? If God only comes to the nice people, the people who've kind of tidied some things up, you know, who don't have any baggage, who haven't messed up too badly, then none of us would be in this room. So Mephibosheth, he's a threat. He's a liability who the king brings into his home and he takes care of. And he's also a man who's had his entire life changed because of the actions of another. Uh, Mephibosheth's life is not the way it's supposed to be because of the actions of someone else, right? He's unable to use his legs. He's in hiding. He's in a place called Lodabar, which uh, literally means place of no pasture, like no rest. Um, He's a prince who should have been a king, and yet he's been taken away from him. He's actually in hiding because of what somebody else did. And whoever you are this morning, whether you're convinced of Christianity or not, uh, do you know what God says about you? Do you know the true story of the universe? When God created everything else, the last thing he made, he created King Adam and Queen Eve to rule and have dominion over this earth. And he made them in his image and he set them over all creation. He said, be fruitful and multiply so that your kids can be king and queen and their kids can rule this world too. Every person in this room, you've got royal blood running through your veins because you were made in God's image. You were destined for greatness and purpose in this world. And yet because of the sin of Adam, we live in a fallen world with broken relationships and fear and sadness and death. And even so, the beauty of the gospel is that our king, he's got a steadfast love for fallen kings and queens like you and me. We're living in exile and God goes after those people who are not where they ought to be. They're not doing what they ought to be doing. And he invites them into his family. I think this is one of the most important things illustrated about God's kindness in this passage. Because when the king finds out that there's someone out there who could belong to the, who used to belong to the royal family, he's related to Jonathan. There's still someone who he can kind of fulfill this covenant with. He doesn't say, well, as soon as Mephibosheth kind of gets his act together and comes and sees me, then sure, I'll let him in. Uh, He doesn't say, well, um, tell Mephibosheth that the door's always open. He's always welcome to come to my house. He didn't say any of that, does he? He says, go get him and bring him to me. Look back at verse 6 if you've got your Bibles open. 
says, And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. Mephibosheth humbles himself before King David, probably because he thinks he's about to be executed. That's what he expects to happen. That's the most natural thing for David to do. And yet, what does he do instead? David calls him by his name, and he tells him not to be afraid. All right, this is the rest of verse 6 and 7. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And you can tell that Mephibosheth doesn't really believe him at first, does he? He's suspicious. Uh, he's probably been practicing this speech as he's been carried to the palace to give David, because he says, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Mephibosheth was expecting death, and yet he gets this invitation to come be a part of the royal family again. And it sounds too good to be true. Are you suspicious of God this morning? Right. Have you come here a few times? Maybe you've listened to some other podcasts, you've read parts of the Bible, and you're, you're having a hard time accepting the offer of the gospel, either because it seems too good to be true, or you've been hurt too many times to kind of open yourself up and be vulnerable again. You know, I can tell you with confidence that King Jesus is the only person who's not going to disappoint you. He's not going to let you down. He's not going to hurt you. He may not be what you expect. He may not give you everything you want, but he will cast out all your fear. And he will invite you into his family and give you a place at his table and take care of you forever. All right? King Jesus is not offended by your suspicion of him. I want you to hear that. And once you do finally give in and follow him, you'll realize that he was the one who was drawing you to himself the entire time. All right? Even in the midst of your searching, or maybe you grew up in the church and you kind of fell away and now you're starting to kind of be curious. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. For whatever reason, you're here or poking around Christianity Christianity claims that it is always God who initiates the relationship. So take comfort in that. The mere fact that you might be searching is because God is drawing you to himself. Uh, in Ephesians 2, Paul puts it like this. He says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So the question I think we need to ask this morning is, why? Why would God, why would this king show such kindness to people who don't deserve it, who can't earn it, and who probably weren't looking for it in the first place? Y'all, please hear this. This is why we can have hope in Jesus. Uh, David shows kindness to Mephibosheth because of a promise he made to Jonathan. Right? It had nothing to do with Mephibosheth's character or his behavior or his habits. It had everything to do with the agreement that David made with another. Just think about that for a second. David didn't put any qualifiers when he sent the guy to go get Mephibosheth, did he? He, did, he wasn't like, hey, go, go check him out, make sure he's like pretty cool, and he'll fit in here, and then come bring him back. No, he, David's kindness permanently changed the trajectory of Mephibosheth's life because of a covenant he made with Jonathan. In the same way, God's covenant loyalty, his steadfast love, his kindness to you and me flows out of an agreement that was made with God the Father and God the Son from all eternity past. Uh, this is called the covenant of redemption, if you want to do some digging, or we can grab coffee and talk about it. Uh, but it's this beautiful agreement between God the Son and God the Father, so that God the Son would become man, uh, live and die in the place of sinful men and women, and that God the Father would accept that substitution. 
right? That men and women who deserve to be separated from God for going against him, uh, but because Jesus never went against God the Father, because Jesus has this infinite supply of righteousness, when Jesus offered himself up on the cross, the Father was satisfied to look on Jesus and pardon you and me, right? That the Father would declare Jesus to be guilty so that you and I by faith could be declared innocent. And even better than that, somehow even better, God looks at those who are in Christ and he calls you a son. He calls you his daughter. You're called a co-heir with Christ if you follow Jesus. Uh, by faith, you are brought into this family. You're given a seat at the table and you have your name on an eternal inheritance. That means you get to be with God and taken care of by God forever and ever. Uh, we sang a, a hymn that I love earlier. It's called, And Can It Be? It's an old Charles Wesley hymn. And we sing this words, Amazing love, how can it be that God, thou, thou my God shouldst die for me? He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Your only hope then is not in what you have done, it's not what you have managed to not do. Your hope has to rest in God's kindness to you, his covenant loyalty to accept the life, death, and resurrection in your place. And God always makes good on his promises. Amen? And let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, you are faithful to us, your people, and you are faithful to your promises. Uh, we praise you that you did not look to us uh, to decide whether we were worthy or not to send Jesus, uh, but you sent Jesus to make us worthy. And so would you keep us humble as we live our lives and as we tell others about you and as we love others and we're generous? Would you let everything we do flow out of that knowledge that your kindness to us is the reason we have anything at all and is a solid foundation for hope for a future? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Others about you, and as we love others and we're generous, would you let everything we do flow out of that knowledge that your kindness to us is the reason we have anything at all and is a solid foundation for hope for a future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.